Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land I'm recording from, the Yagara and the Turrbal people, as the traditional custodians of Mianjin. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I also acknowledge the traditional owners from all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands you are listening from. Just a heads up, the conversations in this podcast are definitely for adult ears only. There'll be explicit language, direct references to body parts, and very non-PG sexual activities. The chats are robust, so steer clear if you're a sensitive listener or if there are kids around. Instead of us being the punchline, oh, someone quirky with a quirky personality and uses a mobility aid. No, we are the lead, you know? No, we are the sexy being. Look at us. (laughs) It's so powerful. I'm getting chills. (laughs) There's a more complex layer of pleasure and desire and attraction. And I'm like, girl gotta eat. Welcome to Erotic Stories, the podcast, where we bring you conversations untying the themes of the steamy new SBS drama series with unfiltered, raw and raunchy conversations, episode by episode. I'm Nadine Schmele. Dating can get pretty complicated for most people, but if you have a disability, there's this whole other layer to work through. Inbound, the third episode of Erotic Stories, we see a young man working his way through the complexities of sexuality and disability. And we're going to talk about those things in our conversations today. If you're yet to catch the episode, you can catch it now on SBS On Demand. I don't think we give too much of the plot away, but we will be chatting with actor Crystal Newen, who featured in the episode Bound, along with Dr. Natasha Alexander, as we unpack dating when you or your partner have a disability. We know her as Blue, the sassy and vivacious character in Erotic Stories episode Bound. She's an actress on stage and screen, and she joins us from Wajuk Country in Perth. Crystal, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Nadine. So this episode of Erotic Stories was about dating with a disability. Um, We have a bunch of questions about that, but my first question is, um, you're a disabled woman, you're a migrant woman. These are two minorities that we often don't see in episodes about sex or in shows about sex. When I saw your character, I I clapped and screamed. You were one of my favourite characters in the show. Thank you. Um, That's so nice of you. And here you are, you know, sassy Vietnamese character that was doing their thing um, and being sexy and being powerful. Do you think you're a lot like Blue? Oh, interesting. I think Blue is what I aspire to be. Let's just say that, what we all aspire to be. Why? Oh, because she's just so unapologetic, hey? Yeah. And she... She gets that, like I said, like there's no escaping. As soon as you're out and about in that body, you're going to be stared at. There's going to be scrutiny. But she's like, you know what? I'm going to get dolled up and I'm going to look like it's the fashion runway because 
I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, right? <laughs> and um, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of anger and rage in her because of what she's gone through and the journey that she's had to fight the people that she's had to prove wrong to be there um, in her own skin. But I think she's turned that anger into a song, into a, I, I, I want to say spring in her step, but she doesn't have, <laughs> yeah, she has wheels. Um, <laughs> uh, anger into, yeah, a song, a, a tune that she dances to kind of. Yeah. Did you feel anxious at all telling the story? Um, you know, it, it's a bit, I talk about sex all the time, mm. but I do it on purpose mm. to break down those cultural barriers. Um, Your question was like, how do I feel with like being in such a work that is completely with that at the forefront, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh my God. I'm Vietnamese, man. We, it's so repressed. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I used to find it completely left field because I didn't feel like it was my I didn't feel like I had autonomy to be part of the conversation. Um, but with the shift of, I guess, people like us telling our own stories, taking back the narrative kind of, and I, I think what we did um, and what Alistair did was just that. Um, and we're completely um, amazed and, and thankful for SBS and Lingo Production for, hearing us, seeing us and going, this deserves to be seen because we've always been here. Yeah. And we've always existed. We've always had desires. Um, we've always been hot. Um, yeah. But because it's not, yeah, it, it's not in the vernacular because it's somehow somewhere along the lines it was deemed not good enough or not commercial enough to sell or yeah. to be a narrative to be told. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. And do you find that in in your life? Do you think that the community, you feel that the community has your back or do you think that it's a battle or, or how do you feel about? Yeah, it's really complex. I, I think I, I really believe that we are social beings, humans are, and it's impossible to be a girl boss or um, to, to exist solely in yourself. And I, I completely relate to you, Nadine, of trying to always have to break stereotypes in every room that you're in through the things that you say or the stories that you tell. Um, but I do think that I'm at this point in my life, like so much like Blue, my character, um, more comfortable in my own skin to, I guess, just be um, and understanding that existing in my body is already political enough and you can't escape that, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think as an adult and also working through my queerness and coming to terms with what it means to exist in these intersections, I think it's it's been really liberating and um, the really interesting conversation around what is constituted desirable um, and usually with disabled folks on that hierarchy although invisible, that hierarchy exists. Like if you're not cis, white male, as you know. Um, so like with disabled people, I feel like we're considered the most deviant in that realm or in that hierarchy of, I guess, marginalized identities. And so to have something so such a convers such an important conversation and pivotal conversation that centers around us and then go from there instead of 
us being the punchline or the like the plot line of oh someone quirky with a quirky personality and uses a mobility aid. No, we are the lead. You know, yeah. No, we are the sexy being. Look at us. (laughs) It's so powerful. I'm getting chills. All right, so let's let's start at scratch. Tell me your process for dating. <laughs> um, so between my last two relationships was like a year yep. period of singledom. Is that a yeah, word? Yeah, it yes. is now. Um, and so I did the whole thing. I was like, whatever is new and like, you know, an app that people are using in this most isolated city in the world, um, I'll use that. Um, so I had like four or five profiles. Um, and... If it's online, then I vet them through talking to them and kind of being like, you do see, because I have pictures of me in my chair and full body right. shots as well. And I also put it in my um, bio that, you know, disabled, queer, You woman, disclose straight da, 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 da. up. I have to go straight there because I really believe in um, being able to hold the narrative, as you can tell, like have my own agency, but also so that they can't guess or spin anything. And I would rather they ask straight. Like if they're like, what happened? Bye. Yeah. You know, you can kind of go vet really quickly that way. It's like elimination. Um, but in real life, I think well, if I meet like people that I know or acquaintance, I would have to like have a couple of friends who vouch for them as a decent person. Right. Then I'll just come across, I'm quite forward. I would just come up and I'd be like, would you like to go out sometime? I love and they usually that. be like, I'm so flattered. Um, sure. Or, um, yes, here's my number, blah, blah. And then I would set that up all the time. Um, so you, no matter the you gender, chase. I'm you're, always you're... the one that, cause I have to, I don't know why it's that first child thing. I think it's like, <laughs> Oh my God, if I don't do it, who will? Um, <laughs> But um, and then is there a vetting process from there? So you've chosen someone that you like. Mm. You're going on a date. What happens mm. next? Um, definitely, like you said, when they if they ask questions that are kind of like zoo like, like if you're like watching me and oh my god, what is your language? Or yeah, mostly it's like oh, so do you walk at all? Or you're pretty petite or stuff like that. It's really weird about your. Yeah, it's about the tone and the context. Like if just if out of nowhere, you know, we're chatting about, I don't know, footy or something, and then they come out and say that, that means it's been in your their mind, right? right? So that's 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 odd. Yeah, that's not on. Um, so I usually that doesn't last for more than one day. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, I feel like I'm the one who either starts it and ends it <laughs> um, because I I can't deal with. Um, yeah, stringing people along that are clearly not here for the right purpose. Right. But then again, it's really hard because... How I do you think, tell if they're there for the right purpose? Yeah, yeah. But then I think another hard thing is like I don't have the choice or the privilege to just date for fun, right. if that makes sense. Why? Because even though I want to just date for fun... I still don't want to spend the next, I don't know how many hours with this asshole, if if that's all they are yeah. seeing me. So do you cut it off straight uh, away? So like if in the first ten minutes, it's hard. It's sometimes you're like your inhibitions, you know, kick in, and you're like, yeah, I'm bored. Right? <laughs> so, are you are you so that honest? Right. Are you like I'm out? No, no. As in like, 
I will look over. I will look past <laughs> your shittiness, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I will spend time with right. you until it's too much. Okay. There was that journey, though. Yeah. Like it's not. Yeah, we've all been there. It's not like out of the get go going. Yeah, I'm slaying, and I'm yeah. you know good at. I have a great asshole radar. No. No, it's it took a lot of time and bravery <laughs> to just kind of like you can say no and it's gross. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think it's it's such a journey. I think the biggest takeaway that I've um like I'm now in a loving, committed relationship, but the biggest takeaway when I was dating was that what if I just wanted to date for fun? It's so hard to do so because the bar is so low that I need to find a decent person to even talk with, let alone, like, have a fling or a situationship. Do you think it's harder to have a one-night stand or a hookup um, if you have a disability? Or oh, do you... for sure. Yeah. Safety, for sh- first thing. I what, am... what about safety? Tell me. Oh, because you don't you need to have an out, right, as a mm. woman anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for me, if it's not safe, can I, what is my out? Like, yeah. accessibility-wise, my place would be the best for me. I would feel less foreign. How do I get up to someone's apartment up the third floor with no flight, uh, with no stairs? Yeah. How do I get to their house and find out that I don't fit into the door? So right. it's like those little things. You've got to so consider this, right? I have to consider that. But then if it's at my place for the, like you said, in the context of one night stand, for example, is that not pretty crazy? And yeah, dangerous? having someone over, sure, it's a big deal. You know, my friends always go, Crystal, are you? Do you have a death wish? <laughs> and I'm like, girl, gotta eat. So. <laughs> 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 oh my god, I can't believe this. I love this. <laughs> I am the role model of the generation. I love um, it. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. I just think it's again, we're not allowed. As as disabled women, as queer women, as women of color, we're not allowed to take those kind of irresponsibility yeah. route. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just not it's just a no brainer. You have to no, which sucks because I I yeah, but I think it's um we're really creative people. I'd say yeah, <laughs> yeah. When there yeah. is a will, there is a way. Do do people ever presume that you're not sexual? Like, do they go, oh, she's in a wheelchair? Oh, interesting. Um, mm, I think yes, but I'm pretty good at being vocal about it. So, yeah, yeah it's again, it's about you having to, again, it's, I think it's a coping mechanism. Mm. It's stating it before or making a joke about yourself before you're made fun of. Right. So you let them know in advance. I let them know or I'm really open about my sexuality. And right. so usually when that comes out, people are like, oh, yep, there's got to be something there. Or, right. But, yeah, I think um, they presume when they have not met me, again, on these dating sites or asking really, really invasive questions. Yeah. Is there anything other than safety that makes dating harder and hookups harder? Like besides the safety aspect and, you know, the functionality. um, I think, again, it's the internalized ableism that you have to come uh, overcome or not overcome, more manage yourself before you even feel that. I think for most of my friends, 
with disability when they see me uh, I guess talk about my dates or being really vocal on social media about my experiences because it's I think I find it funny and like a social experiment like I would tell people how it went good or bad um, they'd be like how do you even like put up the dating profile or how do you even feel like you can ask someone out in real life and I totally relate it's I, I couldn't give them an answer, but I think for me, it's that journey of having to over, like to manage your able internalized feelings about your disability, right. like that you are enough and you are you are deserving of of touch, of sensuality, of being worshipped, that you are desirable. Like I think it's those things that unfortunately no one's gonna tell you. But yourself and the way that you move through the world, you have to kind of, yeah. And and with with all the systemic ways that society oppresses you from accessing, you know, basic healthcare and and feeling like a person, like a human, with sex, it's it's so innate, but it's often pushed to the side as not essential for disabled peoples. Is it not something that's as discussed? Oh, I think it's seen with by non-disabled folks as non-essential yeah. to us because, again, we're not sexual beings or we, like, you know, we should be grateful to be, I don't know, cared for by others or alive or doing basic tasks. So mm-hmm. how can we be realized as fully autonomous and with agency and people who can, yeah, experience joy and pleasure in that way. Is there an expectation for a disabled person to date another disabled person or to date an able-bodied person? I do think that I personally have a struggle with that of like, I think, wanting to not feel like a burden to Mm -hmm. others or my partner. So if I'm dating a non-disabled person or someone with minimal access needs then it's a bit easier to manage to navigate daily life right but then my expectations get flipped around or I meet people that are beautiful and wonderful and I realize that yes I if I want them to love me for my disability then I can also love them for that and not despite that it was yeah it's this strange internalized feeling of you know I'm hospitalized a lot if mm-hmm. things go south if I break a bone and that kind of thing I need someone to kind of be right. reliable in that sense but then again interdependence right no one can exist alone or thrive alone so that concept is completely I have to kind of rework it every day um but definitely I think shows like um what's that one dating on the spectrum dating on the spectrum yeah I saw that one yeah um, all like British shows where they match up people with down syndrome or similar disabilities together I'm like cool I like the idea but it also kind of feeds into that feeling of like yeah stay with your thing stick to your group 
Do you feel like there's a cultural pressure for that? Like, do you feel like society kind of romanticizes that? Um, I think it's definitely a non-disabled lens. It's kind of the inspirational porn lens of like, oh, look at them supporting each other through life and how great it is yeah. and whatnot. And um, the the innate understanding and related. Like it, I think there is a cultural pressure for that, but. Again, I think dating is already hard no matter who you are. Why do we pigeonhole ourselves or make it unnecessary, complicated? Yeah. And and put people in tricky situations. Like it should be expansive and I think love is love, right? If you are both adults and consensual beings, then it shouldn't be a question. Yeah. So I have two more questions that I'd like to yeah, ask sure. you. Um, one is, one one question we ask all of the guests on our podcast is, how do you define erotic? What do you find erotic? Um, what does Crystal find sexy, erotic? Asian food's always erotic. <laughs> it's so nice to see things handmade and done. Um, I, yeah, and I think in terms of attraction, I think I'm quite, attracted to people who are self-assured and who understand or own the fact that they don't know anything or are clueless and are moving through life. But again, with that kind of springing their step and dancing to their own beat sort of vibe. And um, I think eroticism is being unapologetically yourself as well. And yeah, understanding the complexity of existing as a human being and learning that through mistakes and um yeah and and being connected to community yeah that's hot (laughs) that's hot to me if you have a good group of friends oh my god right also the food thing for me is also yeah I completely agree on the eroticism of food because I don't know, for me culturally, like food and sharing and being together and eating is so... It's a love language, hey? Yeah. It really is. Yeah. If I cook for you, I love you. Yeah. So tell me your best date story um, or your best erotic story. (laughs) Yeah, I could tell the story of how I met my current partner. Yeah. Um, It's so sweet. Um, So (laughs) we, we had our first date at this brewery that I'd never been to, I don't like beer, but I just thought <laughs> it's a cool vibe and it's got finger food. Again, like I got to think about food and, you know, right. uh, he's, you know, Italian and Indonesian. So I was like, there's a lot of pressure about, you know, good food and got to do it right. So I didn't want to take him to like an Italian place. It'd be weird. Um, so yeah, it was like neutral good food and me just trying to be like managing the I guess the setting um so yeah we went there we closed the bar out because we were talking so much we like barely ate um he was like oh I'm so sorry um I might be rambling and I'm like I'm sorry I'm very nervous but then we just kept talking um and then as we were walking to the car for him to take me home it started pouring as soon as we opened the car door it's like it's like Korean drama and then <laughs> I know. And then I was like, my chair can't get wet. <laughs> That's the only thing I could say. So it's going to short circuit. And then oh, he's like, oh, no. my God, what do I do? And then so I just jumped into the car. He 
fully body slammed over my chair to cover it because we didn't have an umbrella oh. to like yeah so he was entirely soaked and tried to I had to teach him a crash course in folding my chair and putting it in his car in like two seconds because it was talking over the rain and then he did that he came in everything was wet and soaked but I was just I couldn't stop laughing because I was like yeah that's one way to learn <laughs> um and yeah I was just completely enamored by how like chill and I guess it's it's a no-brainer for him he doesn't talk to me like I'm a novelty but then I think about a couple weeks later I had a major fall in the city where I broke like multiple bones and I was in hospital for a month and I was just like like drugged up wires around me and I was like oh, I don't understand why you're still here and he's like of course I'm oh. here and then I was like I think I love you <laughs> it's so oh. and then he was just so yeah flabbergasted we both cried and yeah everything was it's just been so lovely since then but I think it goes to show how you're enough for somebody and you're you're you're, you're going to find that person you just have to i guess be completely yourself and because this time i didn't apologize at all for who i am or like the confines of i guess my condition i was just like this is who i am and i showed him i think the lowest part of myself but also one of the brightest times so i think that's that's um that's enough <laughs> You know, like that's such a message, isn't it, from all of it is that we feel like we're enough. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Crystal. Thank you so much, Nadine. It was such a lovely time. Yeah. And I look forward to watching the episode again. Um, It's really good. Thank you. Our next guest is Dr. Natasha Alexander. Dr. Natasha is a clinical psychologist working in the area of sexuality, relationships, and consent for people with cognitive and intellectual disabilities and their support networks. So, Natasha, before we grill you about your love life, we're going to jump straight into your work world. How is it different and is it different for people with intellectual or cognitive disabilities in the dating world, in the sex world, what are the things that need to be considered or you've seen people say they need to consider? Ah, yeah, great question. So in terms of the way that people think about people with, I guess, with intellectual cognitive disability and sexuality, I guess there's a sort of protective kind of perspective and there's a sort of more capacity-based perspective where you're thinking about someone's capacity to consent Do they have that capacity? What do they need in order to have capacity? What support do they need around education, around practical support, around dating, um, practical support around keeping their relationships? And that's where I come in. I'm very much a sort of more sort of capacity kind of perspective. And what do you do at Consentability? What does that mean? So, So for me, in terms of the work that I do, it means that I'm working across the range of sex, having the potential to be pleasurable and fun and actually, you know, a part of, of, of human life, yeah. um, not something to be feared, not something that we need to be stopping people from doing. Obviously, I'm a responsible clinician. I, I'm involved in safeguarding people. But where people have the capacity to consent, 
to sexual relationships, I want them to know that it's supposed to feel good. It's not supposed to hurt. And it's supposed to be something that's healthy right. and enjoyable. And also, obviously, what the consequences might be. Yeah. And you come in, I guess, as sometimes an educator. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you have those frank and open discussions? Are you just like, hey, this is what we're talking about yeah. today? Yeah, <laughs> basically. like just- So luckily, I because I've been doing this for a while now, I attract a certain kind of person. So, you know, parents who are wanting to be proactive, who are maybe a little bit unconventional, who want their young person to have an education around this. And people know what they're getting with me. So I think on my website, I mentioned that I'm sex positive in terms of my attitude. I think it's about helping people to know what's out there. Because I think sometimes people just sort of shut it down and go, well, I can't do that. Or because of particular sort of conditions that they have, I can't reach that area of my body. So I'm not going to be able to do that thing. And it's thinking about, okay, so what are some of the issues that are getting in the way of what you would like to be able to do? And then we can think together about what might be helpful. So I I like to sort of think of myself as like that kind of auntie role. Yeah. Like, you know, helping people navigate this stuff. You know, I love an auntie. You know, I love <laughs> the auntie role. I think yeah. it's a very important cultural, yeah. you know, cornerstone, yeah. that guidance and that, you know, we spoke earlier to a lovely actress named Crystal Nguyen. Uh, she was one of the actors in Nordic Stories. And one of the things she mentioned when talking about dating with a disability was the weight of the assumptions that other people have about Mm. your relationship Mm. or about your ability or about your sexuality. Is that something that you discuss or is that something that you found, one, in your practice, but you also have a partner Mm. with a disability? Mm. Is that something that you found that the assumptions are a thing? Yeah, definitely. So I was chatting to him before coming on the podcast to obviously get his permission. Yeah, thank it's you. Okay. Thank yeah, you which, for giving us yeah, that. Yeah, he said that. That's cool. So some of our conversations, I mean, he's mentioned things that people have said to him previously when he's been on dates. So one of them that stood out for me was someone who said to him, oh, it must be really hard to find a partner with your condition. It's like, oh my gosh. So one Thinking that, okay, whatever, if that's what your thought is. But then to actually verbalise that is outrageous. It's just outrageous. Just the assumption and then to be able to say, hey, you are they essentially saying you should be dating someone with your condition? Like you can only be partnered with that? Or somehow like you're like an assumption that the person is lesser or less attractive or less desirable or people might not want to date someone with a physical disability. I don't know, there's so many assumptions around that. And then another time somebody had got a little bit upset and was sort of saying, I don't even know if you can have sex. And just, (laughs) (laughs) again, the assumptions. But then we don't want people going the other way and going, so... Yeah, two minutes into the day, so can you have sex? Can you do this? Can you you do that? And actually, I, so he told me about his disability with perfect timing for me. So we met on a dating app and we sort of chatted for a while. And he didn't mention anything about his disability on the profile. And so things were going really well. And I suggested, let's have, let's meet, let's meet for coffee. And It was at that point that he said something along the lines of, you don't seem to be the sort of person who would be put off by this, but I just want to let you know, I have a physical disability, I use a cane. Are you still here? I think is what he said. I was like, yeah, I'm still here. But that was perfect timing because then we could think about any sort of accommodations he would need in terms of where we were meeting. Because I'd suggested somewhere with steps and then I got all stressed about it going, oh, the step's okay. And I, you know, sent him a link and he's like, I think I'll be fine. And that was good. 
And then also he's he's new with divergence as well. And I somehow found that out before the date. So I kind of knew going in, I knew quite a lot about him. He knew a lot about me. And it was great. We had the best first date ever. And just being really authentic. Yeah. And I think just being really open. And that's been a value that we've stuck to. So it's nearly a year and a half. And it's it's wonderful. That's so lovely. I'm going to ask, and this doesn't have go to go in the park. You know I <laughs> what are Did you, you sleep ask? together the first night? We didn't go all the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but essentially, but yeah. sexual sex yeah. things, yeah. yeah. Sex yeah. things happen. happen. Yeah. And so, so what, <laughs> what had happened? Oh, gosh. Um, You're blushing. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm blushing. sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I knew what I was getting into with you, Nadine. <laughs> So, so yeah, we were we were like messing about on 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 the bed, and then he got up to go to the toilet, and for some reason he didn't take his cane, and I think he was just trying to be like, oh, yeah, I'm fine, I'm like, cool. I can I can do this. <laughs> he fell over. Oh no! And so this this arm shot up, going, I'm okay. <laughs> it's so cute though. And yeah. then humor has just been a big part of our relationship because. Yeah. You have to laugh about some stuff. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of his particular condition, his legs spasm a lot. So they're very, very stiff. And then during sex, which is pretty relaxing, they're not as stiff. So then they start sort of spasming. And right. at first he was quite self-conscious because, you know. And then there was this one time and I was cuddling in particularly close. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're like a giant human vibrator. Because <laughs> it's, oh, buddy. And once I'd established that it wasn't painful for him, yeah. I can just really revel in enjoying it. Yeah, and I'm making it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then so now it's now it's got to the stage where he used to kind of be like, oh, I wish it would stop or, you know, yeah. to me going, oh, it stopped. <laughs> so That's really nice. It's lovely. It's a yeah. part of your yeah. communication. Yeah. You know, because you know his body and that's normal for him. Absolutely. And there's been something really good about thinking about his needs and his physical needs and what we can and what we can't do that has made me even more present during sex. Because back in the day as a young woman, I was in my head. I was in fantasy. There was music on. Like it was all, it was yeah. all going off. Whereas now I'm very present and thinking about, you know, what's happening and what we're doing. And I think that is something about thinking about his body, what's going on in his body, is he in pain, is he okay? That gets me to reflect about my own body and my own pleasure. Yeah. Two questions. Did dating someone with a disability also change your practice and your work and your understanding? Because that suddenly is lived experience, Mm. right? And a a completely different, I mean, maybe not a completely different, an understanding of your relationship with your clients, with your friends, with your community. Did it change your understanding of dating? Yeah, I'd say it has. I'd say that it's kind of um, enhanced it. It's it's enhanced some of the things that I wouldn't have thought about before, which I can then ask people about, I can be curious about. And I do sort of selective disclosure with people that I'm working with. I either say, you know, my boyfriend has a physical disability, or I might use an example for my own life, but not own it. So I might say, I wonder if, you know, is this an issue? Or, you know, what is it with that? And I was chatting to someone recently who was concerned that because they have mobility issues and they use a wheelchair, that they might not be seen as desirable. And I mentioned, I said, you know, well, this is what happened. I, my, my boyfriend has a disability. This is when he mentioned it. He didn't put it on his profile because that's something that we talk about. Is it a big deal for people? Some of the conversations I've had with people about like maybe a dating profile is what to put on it. And people feel quite conflicted because they want to be 
authentic and mention things on profiles, which I think is good. But then sometimes they get worried that people might then be put off. Not my words, their words. And there's so many different views about this. Some people say, well, you should put it on because then you're screening out people who would be put off. Well, yesterday when I spoke with Crystal, she said to me that she puts it on her profile. There's a photo of her in her chair. Um, She's very, very honest and owns it and this is who I am. So that she knows from word go who's going to click on her, they're going to know or not know. But obviously that's not always the best approach, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And with my partner, I think he's done both in the bar. So there's been times when he's mentioned it up front um, before a date. There's been times when he hasn't mentioned it and Mm. he's just turned up to the date. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, different things. And I think uh, the way that we did it worked really well. Yeah. It's frustrating and layered, isn't it? It is. As someone with a partner with a disability, do people make assumptions about your relationship? Do, you know, from the outside, do people ask questions that are inappropriate? Do people ask you guys things that are you know, they maybe shouldn't or do they? Not so much, which is quite interesting. And I think it's because of where we sort of hang out. So we hang out around West End, which is pretty (laughs) pretty quirky. And what we notice is that people seem to quite like us. Like we get people, and it's not pity. It's more like, oh, you two look a little bit unusual. You know, I'm a black woman with an afro. Yeah. you know, he's a white guy with a beard and a cane. Yeah. And and we, you know, we sort of, we're wobbling around together and we're holding hands. <laughs> and and I, I think people see us and there's just been something about us that people seem to like. So it feels positive. Yeah. I'm you gonna live ho- in your community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to hold on to the idea that it's positive. <laughs> it's yeah. positive. But I think people probably would be curious. But I had my own assumptions. So when we, you know, we we sort of had our first little sexy time. Mm -hmm. And so I knew a little bit about his disability. I knew that balance is difficult for him. And I was particularly curious about a particular sexual position that would involve him being on his knees and balancing and thrusting. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I knew that that's not... Is that like doggy style? We ask it talking about that. Yeah, we can say it. Yeah, yeah. But I know that that's not really something you ask your new dating partner. So, In doggy, general, yeah, yeah. doggy, can you do it? Because yeah. I've noticed that balance isn't great for you. <laughs> it's a hard question, yeah, right? Yeah. And I wanted to be sensitive. So what I did was I was Googling all these different sex aids. And so I'd found like wedges and there was ones where it's kind of like a strap that you can put around, you know, the partner and rather than having to thrust you can pull them swing you can sort of swing yeah. and pull them yeah so I just kind of randomly sent him this link going do we need any of this because <laughs> I'm going shopping so he must have looked at it and gone whoa, whoa. he's like no no I think we're all right so I was then none the wiser right and after a while I just plucked to the cupboard courage and going look this is this is why I was asking about that yeah and the answer is yes it's fine How do we change the way disability is perceived with sexuality? What is it that we need to do as a society, as a culture, as a group of people? I think, I mean, it's just so many different ways in. I wanted to say something about communication. Yeah, please. So that's something that's really helped us in our our relationship because I think people get worried about what it might be like dating someone with a disability if you don't have a disability. Yeah. And I think people get fearful. They get worried about they're going to say the wrong thing. They're going to get called out on their ableism. And I think what I... I don't get it right. Like, there was a time when I was getting very flustered about driving somewhere. And I just said, how about you just hop out and I'll go and find a car park? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay. And then I 
realized afterwards, he can't just hop out of the car and then cross the road, not at a crossing. Yeah. So it actually took him longer because he had to find the crossing and whatever. I was like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't even think. Yeah. So I'm having to sort of be open about times when I've got it wrong and be willing to be <laughs> criticized and pulled up on that. Yeah. And also another thing I think is just dismantling the ideas about what attractiveness is. And that's something I do a lot with people that I work with. So they they might watch porn or they've got magazines and they think their girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever needs to look like this. And I have a lot of conversations about that is just one very small element of attraction. It's a very specific kind of attraction. Attraction is, for me, it's more like how I feel when I'm with someone and the effect that being close to their body has on my body. Not what their body looks like or what their body can do or whether they can jog along the beach in slow motion (laughs) (laughs) in a red swimsuit. You know that, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yeah, it's it's very different. So it's it's kind of like, you know, chipping away at these these assumptions. Breaking down these social ideas of what it is and isn't. Yeah, so there is a question we ask all the guests on the podcast, which this leads into really well. How would you define erotic? Oh, my gosh, I have not. I don't know. Erotic. (laughs) When I think about erotica, I don't know why I think about it in comparison to porn. And it's interesting about what photos are defined as erotic, erotica, so they may be a bit more arty. (laughs) They're black and white, you know. Maybe black and white. But there's like a sort of softness around that. There's a more complex layer of pleasure and desire and attraction. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can you give me some examples of what Natasha Alexander (laughs) thinks is erotic? So something that I really like is when it's sort of fitting with different senses for me. So not just visual. So something that I particularly like is listening to audio. So back when I was a teenager... I used to I used to phone those phone lines where you could it was aimed at men, yeah. but you'd phone a phone line and be like, Hi, I'm I've been Andy. waiting for you. Did you really? <laughs> yes, so naughty. That's amazing. And it was it was before like my parents didn't get I hope that hope my dad's not listening. But it was, <laughs> it was before you could get like those classified bills. Yeah. So they would just get this huge bill phone going, bill. Oh my gosh, what's going on? And one time, this is like confession time, I said that I was missing my sister and that I'd been calling. (laughs) Overseas or something? (laughs) She'd left to go to uni. Uh, Yeah, no, that's not what was happening. That's not what was happening. They were so expensive. Like, would you like time it? Like, I've got three seconds to come or like, you know, was was, what was was, the the process here? It was a whole feast of self-indulgence. So my parents were working in the evening. Yeah. And I was by myself. I was a teenager by myself. This is so confession time. I'm so, so sorry. I'm making <laughs> you do this. Fun. But do you remember those fitness things? It was like a machine that you would stand on and it had like this vibrating belt that would go around your hips. Yeah. So my mum oh, had yeah, one of those. Yeah, like the exercise her. belt. Yeah, I found a different use for that. <laughs> <laughs> so I found that you could, if I leant on it, yeah. that was pretty good. That's and amazing. I was also like having ice cream and stuff. So it was like a whole, you know, celebration. Hedonistic uh, experience. It was. And then I'd phone those phone lines. That's amazing. So now I still like, like listening to erotica. Yeah. And things have changed. There's the whole... ASMR, is that what yeah, it's yeah, called? Yeah, where ASMR. you get like, you know, those real life sort of noises. Mm. Um, so I quite like listening to oh, those. Oh, I love yeah. this. Well, yeah. I now have a new um, definition of what's erotic and it's apparently women calling phone lines. <laughs> um, You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for coming in today. I really appreciate your voice and your understanding and your care. Thank uh, you. Certainly your openness is one of my favourite things about <laughs> working with you. Um, so thank you so much, Dr Natasha Alexander. You're welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to Erotic Stories, the podcast, with me, Nadine Schmerley. You can catch all the episodes of Erotic Stories on SBS On Demand now. And for more of these chats, subscribe to Erotic Stories, the podcast, on your preferred platform or listen on the SBS audio app or visit sbs.com.au erotic stories podcast. 